Welcome to Brand Appeal, where we talk about brand storytelling in the digital age. I'm your host, Shannon Peel, and today I talked with Lizzie Horovitz about the environment and our carbon footprint. Her company, Choose Finch, helps you make better choices to reduce your carbon footprint while shopping. Very important. I'm extremely passionate about this. So, listener, if you are concerned about the environment and climate change, and if you want to do something without having to give up that much, this is the episode for you. Lizzie, thank you so much for joining me here today on Brand Appeal. And I have one question for you. What is it that you want to be known for? Thank you for having me. I want to be known for democratizing data so that people can make better decisions based on their climate impact. Wow. That is ambitious. It is. Because you're talking about climate impact, because we all have a carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about data, which it itself has a carbon footprint. So how do you utilize data in order to be more green? We all know that you know, to move the needle on climate change, we need these really big changes to happen, right? On the policy level, we need entire infrastructure and grids to be shifted towards more renewable resources. But the fact is there's a lot that we can do as individuals that we're not capitalizing on at the moment. And I've had a ton of people come to me just in my personal life asking what they can do to better their footprint. And because of greenwashing and and a variety of other factors, people don't have the right resources to make these good decisions. And sometimes they think they're making better decisions when in reality they could be doing worse for the planet. And so the first thing that we do as a company is look at all the impacts across, you know, climate sort of the umbrella that I think of personally, but human health, ecotoxicity, water, and we look at all of the different factors on, on various products and we look at those products impacts and through machine learning and our proprietary algorithm, give them a score between one and 10. And so that's where that data is coming in, where we're doing a ton of back end research to understand what these impacts are on the individual level so that then when consumers are shopping, we can point them in the right direction. That is really interesting. Now I can see how, you know, having web 3.0, like having the blockchain there that enables you to see exactly how these products proceed through from raw material right through to us consuming it and knowing exactly what the carbon or environmental impact is from everything from seed to consumption. That is really interesting. It's interesting and it's not easy to your point. You know, there's a lot of data that is missing a lot of confusion around third-party sources of materials. What Finch has found as a company is that right now there is on the one side, you know, these really in-depth life cycle analysis that you can do where you literally go to someone's manufacturing floor and you measure firsthand the exact footprint. That takes around nine months and it can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars for just one product. So in other words, it's just not scalable. other side, we're relying on these labels to say, oh, this is biodegradable or this is eco-friendly, so it's good. And there's not much in between. And what Finch has found is that we can, with missing data, get to a good enough answer that gives us a pretty good idea of what that impact is without having to go to the manufacturing floor. And, you know, we will never claim to be as detailed as a company that that does this one by one per product. Mm-hmm. We're using machine learning and, and algorithms to do that. But 
we think it's getting to a good enough place that we'll get people the right idea. Yeah, and as technology advances and Web 3.0 becomes a more of a norm in manufacturing and logistics, you'll have even more data. Exactly. I think, you know, part of the reason we exist is because there's so much more demand on transparency from Gen Z and really everybody who's mm -hmm. saying like, we're not buying products anymore when we don't know the ingredients. The other thing that's changing is that these companies are becoming more transparent on their own. So I think it's going to be this positive cycle where we're helping companies become more transparent because we're able to shed light on what moves the needle, but also with more resources and data advancements, yeah, it's only getting easier, which is fantastic for us. When I think about things like what you said before, greenwashing, um, let's just dive into that so that I know that we're on the same wavelength here. What is greenwashing to you? Greenwashing to me is when companies make claims about products that are not based in any type of scientific fact. So sometimes they're doing it innocently and they're not even realizing that they're doing it. Oftentimes companies do have bad intentions, but regardless, the result is the same where a company will come out and say, you know, this is eco-friendly, for example. There's no regulation for eco-friendly, right? That doesn't actually have a definition that's within any sort of regulatory body. Mm -hmm. So what happens is consumers say, okay, that's eco-friendly. I'm going to buy that instead. When in reality, there's nothing stopping literally any product to put an eco-friendly stamp on their product. So I think that is sort of the, the large idea. And these words that we're trying to avoid as a company are green, eco-friendly, um, Another one we love is like chemical free. We're all made of chemicals, right? Lemon juice is a chemical that doesn't necessarily, A, that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, but B, the world is chemicals. What we're trying to avoid is chemicals that can be harmful to our reproductive systems or aquatic life or the, or the human body in various ways. So the issue here is that to avoid greenwashing, you really have to get detailed in what is good or bad about the product, or you have to rely on certifications. And while we don't expect consumers to dive in at the extent that, you know, we might be as a company, we're there to sort of be that middleman of we're going to read through all of these claims and all this information and we'll tell you whether it's legitimate or not. There's a lot of things out there that people think are green choices mm -hmm. that really have different impact on the environment. So it seems like every solution to a problem has its own impact problem absolutely take you know the electricity the electric car for instance you know we have these argument between oil companies and the electric car companies yet when you think about what it takes to produce electricity and what a lithium mine looks like it leaves me wondering well is that really a good option or should we be looking for an even better option before we change uh, absolutely. We have these conversations all the time and it's probably the best part of my job because we're actually running the numbers on all of these. And the electric car example is a perfect one where when you were in California, we argue very, very strongly that an electric car is still better than, than an oil or gas producing car. When you're in West Virginia, probably not as good as an, an idea because the electricity is coming straight from coal. The lithium batteries are another issue. I think we try to strike the balance of there are these problems with solar panels and wind generators where people say, well, look at the materials and where those are mined, et cetera. 
you're exactly right. Every every solution to a problem comes with its own problems. It's really just the lesser of two evils, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're making those decisions. One example that I really love that just got a lot of a lot of attention on our Instagram is plastic straws versus metal straws. So as you've seen in the past couple of years, the anti-plastics industry, I should say, has just blown up. And these turtles have an amazing PR team where people are thinking that that's sort of the, the most dire problem facing the planet. You know, I got into sustainability because I'm an animal lover. So I, I don't mean to diminish how hard it is seeing these animals with you know, straw stuck in their noses. But the fact is, you know, one in 4,000 straws, plastic straws will end up in the ocean. So that means the other 3,999 of them do go into the landfill. So it's not Mm -hmm. ideal, but they're thrown away appropriately. When you make a metal straw, the amount of emissions required for that are pretty detrimental to climate change. And I think it was actually off the coast of Vancouver a year ago, there was such a heat wave that 1 billion wildlife died it was last year right so that's right in your neighborhood one billion died just in one heat wave in july and so when you think of that number and what climate change can do to marine life versus what some plastic straws can do to individual marine life i would argue for focusing less on that and really just figuring out what the core of the problem is we love metal straws but the point is you have to buy a metal straw and then use it every single day every single time you get coffee you need to use that straw because buying a straw because you forgot your other one at home and using that only once overall is actually worse and we would recommend just getting a plastic straw that time i live in vancouver as i told you and we don't have plastic straws in vancouver they are outlawed here so are one use plastic so we don't have plastic grocery bags anymore either we have paper bags. As you said, we had the heat wave last year, but it also killed more people than COVID killed in the area. Wow. So if you think of it, like this heat wave was severe. That year we had severe heat wave. We had severe uh, wildfires. I've never in my life seen it like that. And it took out a couple of towns. Then we had rain like unbelievable rain which caused massive landslides to shut down all of our highways out of Vancouver and we were shut off mm. then we had floods and homes were flooded then we had a very cold Christmas <laughs> so there is definitely climate change it's happening yeah it's happening we even had a tornado here in Vancouver wow. this is not something that that we get in Vancouver we do not get tornadoes but we got a tornado right off the shore at the airport we became water spout of course but those don't happen here like these are things that are facts that you can't dispute and a proof that there is climate change completely um i think you know when i started i became really passionate about climate change in 2004 which doesn't feel like that long ago but actually in the context of climate change was a very long time ago and the dialogue I was 16 at the time so I was pretty young but talking to people even people who were relatively progressive they'd be like but is it actually happening and we're not totally sure and if it's not happening for another you know 20 years why do we have to worry about it etc and that dialogue has completely shifted in some heartbreaking ways where to your point like people are dying they're climate refugees there are horrible horrible outcomes that everybody 
everybody knew was going to happen, Who anybody who was paying attention. At the same time, it's actually a good thing, too, that it's in front of our eyes in this way so that anybody who disputes it now is just lying, frankly, mm. um, or who has alternative ulterior motives really no way to deny it where in 2004 it was a little bit easier because you weren't getting those floods on a regular basis and there weren't wildfires like there are today etc well i mean there were but they weren't as extreme and it's yeah. the extreme of our storms and the extreme of these annual events like we have fire season fire season is a normal thing or why not there was always a fire somewhere but it wasn't to the point that it is today We've had rain, rain rivers before, but we've never had mudslides that shut everything down at the same time. We, you know, it really feels like mother nature is at war with us. And folks, when you're, when you're at war with mother nature, you're going to lose. You will lose, <laughs> exactly. You're going to lose. I was really into environment and recycling and everything when I was in high school. Like when they first came up with reduce, reuse, recycle. And here's the thing. It is reduce, reuse, recycle, not recycle, mm -hmm. recycle, recycle. And we really got on the bandwagon with recycling, but how much of our recycling is actually recycled? Not a lot. Not a lot. And the other thing is, is how much of the process of recycling has a carbon footprint? And what's that carbon footprint of that compared to raw materials? Right. I think... I don't have the exact numbers. I, I am a huge proponent of recycling, even if you're not totally. No, no, I, I am totally about recycling. But... Totally. No, but you're making a good point. And I think what's really fun, before I started this company, I worked at a, at a company that was creating a reusable system for coffee, a to-go system where you'd get an aluminum cup and like metal straws, it's not great as a one-time use, but awesome if you use it every day. And so you get an aluminum cup, a paper cup, and instead of throwing it in the trash when you're done, you throw it in a receptacle that picks it up, washes it, sanitizes it, and brings it back to the coffee shop. And the beauty of that is it's the same convenience for the individual consumer. You're just mm -hmm. finding a drop-off station as opposed to a trash can because that's unfortunately something that I've given up on personally is, is people are not going to drastically change their lives. They're just not going to. Mm -hmm. And so we need to change businesses in a way that fits into that. And I think reducing and reusing are the two places 100% to start because another issue is even if you as the consumer have the best intentions of recycling, there are still like six more steps that need to be taken that you don't have oversight on and you don't have control over. So you actually don't know if when you buy that aluminum can of, you know, Coke or whatever, if that's getting a second life. But when you reuse and reduce, you know that your impact is being seen through the whole way, which I really appreciate. You, you make a good point because a lot of times when we recycle, we recycle wrong. And then mm -hmm. it just ends up in the landfill because the recycling station can't use it or China has stopped taking our garbage or, you know, for many and many other things. You know, when I look at the problem and you made a good point there, people are not going to change their habit because we're lazy mm -hmm. and we like convenience and we don't want to pay for that aluminum because the cost of that coffee is going to go up because the cost of that aluminum cup is going to go up. You got the cost of the cup. You got the cost of the, of the collecting it. You got the cost of cleaning it. And so your price of coffee is going to go up and people don't want to pay more for coffee. And this is where we have a problem. Like I said, I live in downtown Vancouver. I see protests all the time. 
One of the biggest protests we had was an environmental protest because this is Vancouver and we've got a lot of tree hugging, loving people here. You know, it was just like, okay, my daughter drove here mm-hmm. to go to the protest. Afterwards, I'm walking around. Afterwards, people have gone into Starbucks, bought a Starbucks <laughs> and are drinking from a plastic cup. Mm-hmm. And it's, I'm sitting there going, you're feeling good because you were in this protest, but you just being here has created more problem. You're exactly right. I, it's, I'm so glad you brought this up because this is something that we struggle with on a daily basis. And it's so fascinating. I wrote a blog a couple of, I guess a year ago at this point, that was about how labels have really ruined us in many ways because people people say like, oh, I'm an environmentalist and that's because I'm zero waste and I don't drive anymore and I'm a vegan. And it ends up isolating a lot of people who are like, well, I want to do what I can, but I'm not ready to like make the entire leap over. Part of the reason why I was so interested in this is being able to measure, like, I can't really measure what impact this protest will have from a carbon standpoint, but I can measure how much it will take for me to drive and do all these different things. And so it's this constant balance, but I think what's what's interesting is progress, not perfection, right? Like we want everybody to feel like they have a role and can do their part, even if they're not totally ready to dive into all these other things. And guilt and shame is probably the worst thing we can do, right? Making people feel bad about driving when they could have taken the subway is like some of that is healthy and important but also that makes that that isolates people even more to be like well I don't want to be a part of this movement at all because I don't want my daily life to be in jeopardy right I don't want to change enough about it one example that we love is like Leonardo DiCaprio who I don't know that much about but he's a huge environmentalist uh-huh he's privately all over the place right okay you know Leonardo DiCaprio he came up to Alberta to filmed his movie that he won that Oscar for and then berated the world and Alberta because Alberta is our oil is our Texas uh-huh. about climate change yes I lived there for 12 years mm-hmm. and he would say oh it went up we couldn't find snow we couldn't find snow we kept going and we couldn't find snow a friend of mine is sitting there going yeah it was a Chinook you know like that's normal it's right. not abnormal to not to not have snow in Alberta because it is a rain shadow Exactly. We have Chinook. Everyone seems to think that Canada is this big ice thing with igloos. <laughs> I mean, not now, but they did in the 80s. Let For me tell you, time. they yeah. did in the 80s. We, I have stories of, of Americans coming up and asking where the igloos are. So funny. And then, of course, the next day he was on his yacht. Right. The more money you have, the bigger your carbon footprint. That is yes. a proven fact. 100%. So you cannot call yourself an environmentalist or be part of the environmental movement if you're not willing to do the work to be an environmentalist. Right. And I think of that too in the context of LEED certifications, right? People are building these massive, massive houses. Are you familiar with LEED? Is that in Canada? Uh, is that like a greenhouse? Le- LEED certification is basically like a sustainable building. So you get like LEED Platinum is like the most sustainable building you could possibly have. And people are building $6 million mansions and making them LEED certified. I argue that that's probably not that sustainable. Even if you're using solar panels and all those different things, like the people who are actually sustainable are people who have lived in their house for 30 years and have one car. It's not 
people who are building their vacation house that's their third house and are pretending to be sustainable so i think i think that's a really interesting point is like i was an environmental history major in undergrad and so i'm really fascinated about these different movements and i think in the 70s and 80s it was sort of this grungy hippie like if you're not camping every weekend then you're not a real environmentalist but then it went so far to the other side where it was like gwyneth paltrow right and if you're mm -hmm. not drinking green juice with a metal straw that costs 16 dollars, you're also not an environmentalist and i'm excited for the movement that i think is is upon us where everybody can do their part even i, I and i we might disagree on this i think even the people with the most money probably can do more than than they think they can oh, they can do way more than they think yeah. they can there is but, only like, one way there's yeah. only one way to save the the earth and this is my this is my argument okay the only way that we're going to fix this problem is to stop shopping. Yeah. <laughs> stop buying stuff off of Amazon because you're bored. Stop uh -huh. going to the mall because you have nothing better to do. Right. Consumerism is what's that? killing the planet. Right. But then how do you implement that? Like, how do you? You can't implement it. You can't, you can't, you can't govern people to do the right thing. Right. It is all an individual choice. But if you're going to sit there and tell me Leonardo DiCaprio or the person with the lead certified mansion that you're an environmentalist, I'm going to call you a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because that you're not doing your part. If you're doing your part, if you take your cup to Starbucks, yep. You're doing your part if you get a hybrid car or don't have a car and live somewhere where you can walk more. Let's be honest here. This is North America. There aren't many places that you can live and not have a car. Right. New it's York, just... Manhattan, downtown, like any downtown, downtown core, right. probably. But most places you need a car. You just need one. We have too much land. Well, in Canada, we have a lot of land, not very many people. You guys have way more people than we do, but still you don't have the transportation equivalent that you, Europe has in no. order to be more green. What I really, really get frustrated with on social media is they go, oh, look at the city in Europe. They all bike everywhere. Why can't we do that? Because this is Vancouver and there's mountains and there's right. rain most of the time. And when it's not raining, it's freezing rain because it's like <laughs> minus 10 outside and cars, you know, oh, and White Rock's like a 45 minute drive away. You know, right. like you're not going to ride your bike. Everyone's sitting there pointing going, oh, well, why can't we do this? And yet it's not the right solution for the place. Every place needs its own solution. We have a lot of people here that do bike and that's great. We have a lot of biking areas. Vancouver is a very, not a very green city, but it is becoming more green than other cities. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of hypocrisy. But if you're doing, if you're doing your bit and you're trying to reduce your footprint because you care about the environment, then you're an environmentalist. But right. if you're just showing up because it's the trendy thing to do and you're there with your latte, with your throwaway cup, and you drove there in your big SUV because, you know, you needed the Escalade or whatever it is. You're not. Can I ask you a potentially controversial question? Because sure. I think it's so interesting. And again, we think about this all the time. Would you prefer if Leonardo DiCaprio didn't do any of it? Didn't yeah. donate money? You would. Because he's donated a lot of money, which I know is not the only way to... Money is not the solution because what he's doing is he is negating the issue. Mm. 
And he's saying, oh, it's okay for me to do whatever I want to do, but you all have to stop driving and all you all have to stop buying stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to still do what I want to do because I'm special. And when you do that, it negates the issue. It says that, okay, if I'm rich, I can buy stuff. It's the same thing as buying carbon credits. Mm-hmm. You know, big companies that pollute can buy carbon credits. Now there is a good impact with that. They plant trees and they give money to people that reforest the world. And if we didn't allow them to do that, we wouldn't have reforestation. But wouldn't it be better if we just didn't have deforestation and if they just didn't pollute so much in the first place? Yes, 100%. That's, I mean, that's, we have a lot of competitors who who have a solution where if you buy something, you know, you pay an extra $2 to, to offset that. And we are vehemently against that for the reason you just said, but also, I mean, it's better just to avoid that emission in the first place. I'm also not convinced, two more things, I'm not convinced that when you plant that tree, you can super verify that it won't be cut down or burned in 10 or 15 years, in which case you're doing double the work. I also think back to the sort of accessibility, equitable argument, like not everybody can afford an extra $2 when they're already spending money. Yeah. It has the same amount of disposable income. And so to claim that the only way to sort of like participate in the sustainable movement is to pay more to offset whatever you're buying is not the solution in my opinion. We can only plant so many trees. Yes. Right. I mean, yes, trees are great. Trees are good. And yes, I do know of a project that is going to be able to track whether or not that tree burns down, whether or not that tree is damaged in any way. But that is a long way away, right? right. Like it, it's a project. I mean, we, we need the technology. We need the, you know, you need the people, the technology and the blockchain in order to be able to track what's going on with every specific thing. And somebody to then update the ledger of mm-hmm. that tree, right? Oh yeah, this tree is at this, you know. It takes time. It takes money. Is it the answer? I don't know what the answer. I the only answer I can see is stop buying stuff. Stop buying stuff. Yeah. Encourage reuse and reducing. I, I think that's a huge solution. Well, yeah. I mean, if you buy glass containers for your leftovers instead of plastic containers. When I was married and had the family and stuff, I'd buy glass containers, put the food in there, put it in the lunchbox. They had to bring the glass back home. Yes, it's an extra step. Yes, I have to clean it. Yes, they have to bring it back. Yes, it is inconvenient when it would be just easier for me to go buy the already made stuff at the grocery store and just throw it in there with the plastic and packaging and everything else. But there's another thing, packaging. Packaging is a huge problem. Huge, absolutely. How many times do you get something that has way too much packaging on it? Yeah, I just actually had this problem. Um, one of our colleagues is having a baby, and I just tried to send her four baby books, and one of them all wrapped in the same package, right, sent at the exact same time. And I looked at, like, three different companies. I was buying it online. It was not possible. Like, all four of them were going to come at different times, all in their own packaging. And it's, yeah, it, that's a huge mess. Well, yeah, like what you're talking about right there is, you know, when we order something on Amazon, we're not even sh- – we don't even really aware that it's going to come in different packaging until after we buy it. Right. Or, or we don't even think about it. We go, okay, we'll get this on this day, this on this day, this on this day. Great. But we can say that we all want it all at once, but it only works if it's all at the same location. Exactly. Right. And it's sort of that opt in, opt out. I would, 
much prefer that someone has to click. It's sort of like being an organ donor, right? The assumption should be, I am an organ donor, unless you feel strongly that you don't want to be. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing where you should assume that you want everything to come on the same day in the same package. And if for some reason you really need something tomorrow, um, that's when you should be able to opt out of it. Mm-hmm. I watched a documentary or a news was a, like a 60 minute type thing where they followed Amazon returns. They got them to buy stuff and then return it. And then they followed those returns to see what the carbon footprint was and where these things ended up. So if people are buying stuff from Amazon and saying, okay, well, I'll buy two, I'll try them on and send one back. Their carbon footprint is humongous. And that item may actually end up being shredded and thrown in the garbage. Right. So the waste, I mean, I don't like waste. The waste of that is unbelievable. It's huge. And I think part of the rhetoric that's problematic is that people say, well, oh, it's cardboard or, oh, glass can be reused and whatever. But it's still like, why do you want to buy that in the first place? Just because cardboard gets a second life doesn't mean that you should be fine using all of it all the time. Well, yeah, because if all 7 billion of people are fine with using it all the time, right? they only get so much of a life. And you have to put new product in with the recycled product in order to have integrity of the box or the cardboard, which means that you need to cut down trees. And then people get upset with us for having clear cutting. And you can't win for trying because if we aren't doing, okay, plastic, well, that's oil. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're going to go over to cardboard. Great. That's trees and that's clear cutting. Right. And deforestation. And in Canada, we replant and stuff, but people forget that there is a cost to everything that we use and everything that we do. One of the things I was, you know, the protests when I was watching that they would have these signs and one guy's sign was, you can't eat oil. And I just looked at it and went, try eating without it. We are so dependent, so dependent. Yeah. on it. You can't even grow food without oil. Mm-hmm. But our ignorance, because we're focused on one problem, oil is the bad person, oil is the bad thing, we need to get rid of oil. So we're just going to focus on that. But we don't think about the whole story. Why is the movement, well, and the other thing is, is that they're so polarized. It's so polarizing, yeah. Which it, I don't know how it came, I mean, I can guess on how it came to be, but it's absurd that it's as polarizing as it is, I think. You can't have a pipeline. So we shut down the pipe, stop the pipeline. Okay, great, you stop the pipeline, but the oil still needs to get to market because we still use oil today. Right. You have to solve the problem in a different order (laughs) Mm -hmm. because now you've stopped the pipeline great but now we use trains which have our diesel which are carbon and now those trains go through communities and they fall off the tracks and now you got an oil spill in the middle of a community Mm -hmm. and all of this stuff isn't tracked and we don't know what is going to happen and so it's not these problems that are not easy to solve so when you are doing what you do because what you're doing is telling people okay well this at least this option is the better option which is a good idea great idea because if i have to buy something i want to know that i'm going to be buying the better option and having a point system 
makes it very easy for people to decide whether or not they're going to buy one thing over another. Why did you think that this idea would, is going to help? Like, is this, why will this idea help in the long run? Well, I think, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Ayana Johnson, Dr. Ayana Johnson. Are you familiar with her work? She's an incredible marine biologist who is a huge environmentalist. And I really look up to her. She has this Venn diagram of basically like what you should be doing in climate. And one is, you know, what does the world need? Another is what what gets you really excited? And then the other is where, where's your skill set, right? And so mm-hmm. when I started... First of all, I never thought about being an entrepreneur or starting my own company. This sort of just like fell into me. But when you think about all the needs, I can think of, if I'm being totally transparent, a lot of things that will have a stronger outcome than changing people's purchasing habits. Mm -hmm. Like I said in the very beginning around getting off of fossil fuels and energy grids and all of that stuff that's not my expertise um and that's not that doesn't get me out of bed every morning just with that one area of what gets you excited and what are you good at i am an expert in consumables in cpg you know taking a product and looking at from what do you say seed to consumption what that life cycle looks like and so that's really where i wanted my energy to go but it also came from this real need for my community there's nowhere online where you can get this information really easily. And I think a lot of people have good intentions, want to look for the right answers, but then give up. I talk to people all the time who say, you know, I had this TV that didn't work anymore and I wanted to figure out the most environmental way to dispose of it. And I could not. And finally mm-hmm. I gave up and dropped it at the junkyard, right? There are so many examples like that where there has to be a one-stop shop where people go and they say, I either... I'm getting rid of this or I need this or something. And they know that what they're looking at is based in data and in science. Um, And so I think, you know, aside from voting every two years and, um, you know, donating to organizations and donating your time, people do shop every day. And so these small changes at scale can really make a really big difference. You're right. The small changes at scale are because if all of a sudden a million, well, you guys have 350 million people or yep. more, if 300 million people decided to buy a, like, let's say you have it on the point system and you have one item that is at a three and the other item that is at a seven and all 3 million people buy the three instead of the seven, mm-hmm. it's going to do two things. One, the carbon is going to go down, but the product that's a number seven it's going to get a lot more efficient exactly. and a lot more green really, really fast, which is going to do even more because if it's green at production, that means less going in to begin with. Exactly. We yep. need to stop this carbon credit stuff. I mean, I get that, you know, those people out there that are planting trees and want reforestation, they need the money from carbon credits. And it's going to take a long time before these organizations and people and industries can shift to not needing them, but they can't be seen as a free ticket to pollute. Mm -hmm. No, I I completely agree. And I think that that's kind of our end goal, pie in the sky, right? Is that we wouldn't, we won't need a finch eventually because there will be enough 
regulations and enough information going around where every company making something is doing it in a really smart and responsible way. Mm-hmm. And we won't have to tell people choose this instead of this because everything that's out there, that's that's my big dream, right? Is that people don't have to make these decisions back to the onus being on businesses. Like we should, you know, we were just thinking about this the other day. When you buy a cookie, you look at the ingredients on the back of the package and it's every single ingredient listed, right? Because God forbid you're allergic to peanuts or something. They, mm-hmm. they are required by the FDA to put every single ingredient in. That is not the case for skincare, for example, mm-hmm. like, or detergent, you know, it'll tell you the most concentrated ingredients, the top five, but in what world are you not required to put all of the ingredients in a product that someone is putting on their body, in their body, And so that's one example of like, I think over time, this will get better and and companies will be required to really be extremely transparent, which will make them change their practices. Yeah, and consumers will demand it as soon as they understand that if they had a dashboard linked to a blockchain or supply chain where they can actually see it and monitor it and know exactly what's going into it and what's not going into it and what the carbon footprint of it is and the what the pollution of it is. And that's now a dashboard that people just look at and go, okay. Or, oh yeah, well, I didn't realize that, that my favorite thing was causing slave labor <laughs> or some <laughs> odd thing, right? We need that transparency in our supply chains because businesses are looking for the lowest price item that they can mark up and bring here. And I know like right now shipping is unbelievable expensive yep but it's not stopping people you know like gas is double what it was before the ukraine war and people are still driving there's still as much traffic in fact there's more traffic because now we don't have covid restrictions finally yeah yeah it's like as soon as covid restrictions removed ukraine war happened and gas prices went up but there's still tons of people running around, driving here and driving there. Completely. It's like, oh, they complain about the price of gas, but obviously it's not too much because you're not, because you're still driving. Right. Until it becomes a barrier in our life, we will not do a change. Right. But you would think for most of the, most of the population, double gas prices would make people change their behavior. And it's concerning that even that isn't doing the, the work. I know. You'd think so. I mean, I don't um, know what else would force someone to change. The thing is, is, do we really need to be out of our houses as much as we are? We spend so much money to buy their houses or rent our houses. And yet we spend so much time trying to go and do other things. Yeah. And that increases our carbon footprint instead of just enjoying our home like our ancestors did. That's a very good point. Well, and I think now it's exacerbated by the fact that people don't feel the need to live close to their communities of where they grew up, right? Like mm-hmm. some people live near their children's grandparents or near their parents, but um, a lot of people think, you know, in a globalized society, it's just a flight away. And I think that's, and I, I'm guilty of that too. I moved to Colorado my parents are in Cleveland. I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know the answer. I'm bad like, you just live your life and you make your choices. Right. I, mean, I don't have a car because I can't afford a car. Don't eat out. Don't have, don't eat out. Because my budget does not allow for that right now because of where I am in my business, which that's just the place it is. So my 
point of this is, is the more money we have, the more money we spend, the bigger our climate footprint. Yes. The only people who can afford to buy the eco-friendly option, which is more expensive, mm-hmm. are people with money. So at least if you're going to consume, consume smart. Right. Now, like I said, here in Vancouver, we have a lot of governmental regulations that have changed what we can and cannot have. I mean, we can't have a lot of things. Businesses, they adapted. Starbucks created a new lid that we don't need a straw for. It's like a baby sippy cup. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, so when forced, they do adapt and they do find solutions. Mm Mm-hmm. Does it have to be governmental or can consumers do it? And I think consumers can do it if they have a tool like what you're building. That's the goal. Thank you. I hope I hope that that's the case. We just were trying to make it easier for everybody to do their part. And yeah, I mean, in, the, in a cynical way, I would put it like make sure that people don't have an excuse to not. Groups of people who have been craving a tool like this for a long time and for them it's great, but others, it's like there's really no reason why you should be confused about this because you have all of these resources now. How far are you? So we have on our website, you're able to go in the next couple of weeks, you'll be able to go on and, and shop on our website. We are implementing slowly on different e-com sites. We started with Amazon, which was a bold choice, mostly just because people shop on Amazon more than anywhere else and we wanted to have the biggest impact. So we started on Amazon and, and it, that works on Amazon today and we'll slowly be going to other e-com sites. That's awesome because like I said, if you see it, if you see that number, yeah, then it, it inspires the consumer to make better choices. It's like when you walk into McDonald's and you're going, oh, I got a, I keep saying McDonald's. It's just the first one that pops into my head. You know, I got a Big Mac attack or whatever. So you go in there and you go to buy it and then you look and you see that many calories. Do I really want to spend that many calories? No, because that's all I can eat. So when you see these numbers and these dashboards, it will help consumers make better decisions. And when consumers make better decisions, then businesses will adapt. Exactly. And that is faster than any government regulation. Mm -hmm. So I love this tool is what I'm trying to say. Thank you so much. I love it too. I'm excited about it. So where can people find information about it? Our website is choosefinch.com, C-H-O-O-S-E-F-I-N-C-H.com. You know, we're still small enough at this really fun stage where people email me and tell me what they want to see, what they want to be rated, et cetera. And so I would encourage people to email hey at choosefinch.com and we'll get back to you um, personally. So go to our website, download our extension and check out all the resources. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Lizzie, for joining me here on Brand Appeal today and listening to me rant on about. No, it was great. This it's just something that I do feel really passionate about. Like we need to do something. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing something. Well, listener, I hope that you learned something new and that you go to choose Finch and try out this program and do something to reduce your carbon footprint and help heal the earth. And if you're a little bit upset with what I had to say, or, you know, you are a 
what they call a Sunday Christian, but you're like a Monday environmentalist, which basically means that you don't live what you say your values are. I'm not going to apologize because we all need to do something. We all need to make a change, but we have to be realistic and we have to live within the confines of our infrastructure at the moment. If you don't agree with me, that's fine. If you want to debate with me, well, find me on Twitter, Shannon Peel one and let's have a discussion and bring other people into the conversation about the environment, reducing our carbon footprint and the hypocrisy of many people who are Monday environmentalists. Until next time, peel out.